and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Welcome everyone to the Level Up Engineering Podcast. My name is Carolina Tot and I will be your host. Today I have a very exciting guest with me, Mike Sievers, who is CEO of App On Board, which is a no-code grain creation platform, which is a mouthful, but um, it sounds really exciting. And before that, he was uh, CTO of Riot Games, which you would be familiar with if you ever played League of Legends, for example. So um, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Let's start by um, introducing you a little bit. What should we know about you? What are your passions? I have three passions in life technology, leadership, and video games. I started out uh, when I was 10 years old. I learned how to program on my Atari, an Atari 800 that my parents bought for me. So I used to spend my day, my nights and weekends, you know, learning how to program basic on it. And that just started out a life of loving engineering and loving software development, loving uh, video games. And um, later on, you know, when I entered the workforce, I very quickly started leading software teams, you know, either as a project manager or as a software engineering manager. And then eventually found my way to Riot when Riot was a, a smaller company than it is today. And uh, I helped Riot grow to what is now probably about 3,000 people. And um, and through that, Carolina, I think you and I talked about this before, I, I made a lot of mistakes uh, when I was a young manager. And, and as a human, I still make mistakes today. But one of the reasons I'm passionate about management and leadership is because I hope to help other people avoid a lot of those uh, a lot of those mistakes I made when I was first starting out. So that sums it up in a nutshell: video games, software, and and leadership for me. Thank you so much. I hope that we can also help some people avoid some mistakes or not even think about the mistakes because they learn uh, the right way for the first time. Yeah. All right, let's jump right into today's topic. We are going to talk about high-performing self-managing teams. And um, let's start by clearing out the definition so that we can all be on the same page. What is your definition of a high-performing team? There's a lot of ways to think about high performance. And I think the lens I think about it through is through the leader. You can measure a team's performance by the results they produce, things like that. But one of the things that I've really seen make a huge difference in a team is whether the team is dependent on the leader or not dependent on the leader. Because if the leader is making all the decisions or calling all the shots, all of those kinds of things, the team is probably limiting their potential, if that makes sense what happens when the leader leaves if the leader leaves moves on to another organization or another team you can oftentimes judge the effectiveness of that leader as to whether the team's performance continues to improve uh, stays the same or declines if a leader leaves a team and performance declines that's a pretty good sign that that leader didn't actually like create the conditions for the team to to manage themselves and understand um, for themselves what high performance meant 
because they're the ones kind of like making all the decisions and, and doing all the, the hard thinking. Okay, in that sense, what's the point of a leader? I am sure that a lot of people will think, okay, then if the team can function without me, why am I there? Yeah. If you think about what are the high performing teams that you see out in the world, not even in the workplace, right? I think a lot of like sports teams or teams that perform really well in the Olympics. And if you watch how those teams work, like what do they do? What are the conditions? What are the behaviors you see that determine whether the team is successful or not? And if you look at a high performing, let's say a sports team, a, a football team or an American football team or a, or a baseball team, the coach isn't on the field while they're playing the game, making all the decisions for everybody. The coach is, you know, before the game and after the game saying, hey, I noticed when you did this, we could have done better if, if you had done it this way. Or before you go get out on the field, just remember these things. It's very much a coaching relationship. It's helping tease the best performance out of people. And what you often see, I mean, I did this when I, when I was younger, what you often see in young managers is that desire to get on the field and do it for them. They get impatient and they're like, I don't like what I see there. And so I'm going to go play this position for that player rather than watch them kind of stumble and fumble and coach them and help them get better. So to answer your question directly, what's the point of a manager or a leader? The point of a leader is to get the best performance out of everyone else and to make the goals clear and the vision clear, not to go do the work and make all the decisions for everybody. Right. Thank you for that clarification as well. So there is a place for leaders, even if the team is um, self-managing. Um, so what does the team look like? How can we know if a team is, is a self-managing and high-performing team? Yeah, um, I've taken over a lot of teams over the years. And one of the first things I look for is how decisions are made. And the surest sign that a team has, you know, an opportunity to maybe be better, or there's an opportunity for the for the, 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 the leader to do better, is the leader having to approve everything, approve every action and make every decision, right? Or on a really high performing team, can the most junior person on the team, like think of the most junior person on the team, do they have the ability and are they empowered to make a meaningful decision that would affect the team's overall performance? That to me is, is what a self-managed team looks like. They're not dependent on the manager or the leader to make all the decisions, right? And again, if I go back to the sports analogy, no winning team requires the coach to say, how should I kick this ball or where should I, you know, um, you, uh, the coaching happens before and after um, and the team autonomously plays the game. When you gave this example, when you talk about kicking, it sounds like a very granular kind of thing that they have to do in order to play the game. And if I work with that metaphor in the workplace, I think about how, you know, like minor things that people should make their decisions on. But then is it always that the team members should be feeling empowered or, or where is the line? Like I would imagine vision and strategy are set by the leader, but how can we differentiate or is there, is there such a place to differentiate? Leadership's job is to be clear on what the goals and the vision are, right? When I'm working with a team, in fact, I ask this question of everybody, even to this day, when I'm having my one-on-ones with people, my question is, is are our goals clear and is our vision clear? Do you understand what we're trying to accomplish and what the near-term objective is? 
if they don't understand that, then then you can't have an autonomous team. The first requirement is everybody has to understand what winning looks like. But once everybody understands what winning looks like, here's the thing. Here's the here's the thing you'll see on especially on software teams a lot. An engineer will come to you and say, um, you know, hey Mike, uh, should I design it this way or that way? And and my my response is usually, well, what is what's the goal that we're trying to accomplish, and which one do you think is better? Like, tell me which approach do you think is better and why in, in light of our vision and our goals. A lot of managers will actually make that decision for the person because it's faster. When the engineer comes to them and says, hey, should I design it this way or that way? They'll, they'll take the easy, fast way and they'll say, well, I would choose that. And then that engineer goes and they, uh, they'll just kind of do whatever the boss said, right? Without actually having taken the time to think through, wait a minute, our vision, our goals, there's these trade-offs in between these two designs, I would choose this one. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll tell an engineer, go think about it, go think about our goals, go think about our vision. If you need me to clarify those things, I will. And then think about these two options that you have. Come back tomorrow and tell me which one you'd pick and why. And then usually they come back and they'll, they'll have thought through it pretty well and say, you know, I, I would choose this or that. And then my job, again, as the coach is not to say, well, you're wrong or you're right. It's it's to point out, you know, maybe flaws in their thinking. Maybe they made some assumptions that were inaccurate. Maybe they uh, used some data that was flawed, or maybe they maybe they didn't use any data at all to inform their decision. What you're doing is you're teaching that person how to think. So the next time when they have a decision to make, they're not going to immediately bring it to me and say, Mike, please make this decision for me. They're going to think, oh, goals, vision, decision, research, data, and then they come to you and they say, Mike, I'm thinking about um, making this decision. I've done the analysis. I've taken these two trade-offs and this is the design I would choose. What do you think? And that's when you know you're winning because now I can coach this person on how they thought through and solved the problem, not solving the problem for them. That sounds like it's a wonderful world. And um, and I really I really like it, but then I immediately started thinking about having time pressure. I am very cognizant of this because our company works. Um, it's an agency, so we work for other companies, right? And sometimes it appears as if it were so much more like smooth sailing if you could just make the decision and let the person go and work and and have everything done by the deadline. So do you think this works in product companies only or it works for agencies as well? I think it works, you know, I know this, I know we're talking about software engineering, but I think this works in any company for any type of leadership, for any type of, you know, whether you're talking finance or engineering or product or, <laughs> or QA or, or any type of job. Again, a, a leader's job is to make the vision clear. Like. Does it work a hundred percent of the time? Like, I think your point is like sometimes there's deadlines and we need to just get the work done. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say there weren't times where I just made the decision because it was faster. But when you do that, you're you're you've got to kind of like acknowledge that you're robbing the team of a learning opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe afterwards you sit the team down and you say, "Hey, I made this decision, and here's why." Does everybody understand that? And ideally, I wouldn't have to make this decision. You would make the decision for me. Because my argument would be, if everybody's doing that, if everybody on the team is thinking autonomously, you're actually going to move way faster. 
if everybody has to come to you to get your input before the decision's made, then you're actually probably moving a lot slower. Okay, I, I think I see your point there. And it draws a lot on what I learn about, you know, like agile development. I know it's sometimes considered a curse word these days, but self-assigning tasks and such sounds like when people take responsibility, then it's a lot faster than just assigning everybody what they should be doing. So let's talk a little more about what sets high-performing self-managed teams apart from, let's say, regular teams or more sure. traditionally, historically accurate teams. Um, yeah. How do you measure performance in your company or in previous companies? And how is performance different in each scenario? Assuming we're talking about leadership here, right? We're talking about managers and managers, managers impact on teams. I measure a manager's performance by whether they can build a team that can deliver the results. If that makes sense, um, not by doing it themselves. So I care a lot that managers can get results through other people, because I really think that is, that is again, the job of a coach. That's the job of a leader. That's the job of a manager is to is to tease the best performance out of everybody. And I coach managers and leaders all the time against doing the work themselves. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. I had a leader one time, he did really well getting the team to about six to eight people. They, they had a very clear mission, they had a very clear vision, and the team did pretty well. They delivered on all their results, you know, they had good production performance metrics and, and all of that kind of stuff. So by all the measures and all the results, the team was, the team was performing fine. But then we needed that we needed to grow that team. So we needed the team to expand its size. And it wasn't long before we really started seeing the cracks. Um, we, the team started showing signs of underperformance. We were missing deadlines. We started having outages. There were all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that I remember from the time when this manager was building the team, one of the consistent pieces of feedback we were giving them was they were hiring pretty junior people. And that doesn't mean that you can't hire junior people, but I think they were hiring almost exclusively junior people that weren't able to be autonomous. And so we gave a lot of feedback about, are you hiring to delegate tasks to people or are you hiring to like have a team that is, is high performing and functioning that doesn't require as much handholding? Well, what ended up happening was we had this major company-wide initiative that this particular manager was the right person to lead. And so they had to kind of go get involved in this project and leave their team a little bit, not leave them you know, alone, but they had to depend on the team to hit their deadlines and deliver the results. And things went from bad to worse pretty, pretty quickly. It became very clear that with this person working on another thing, the team didn't have any direction. They didn't know what they were supposed to work on. People got frustrated. We started having turnover. And when you went and talked to the team, which we did, I went and talked to everybody on the team, their response was, well, you know, we need this person to make all the decisions and they're not around because they're working on this other project. And that's unfortunate for those people, right? Um, because they didn't create that situation. The manager created that situation, right? The manager didn't set the team up for success. Um, the manager didn't pay attention to, I'm going to have a few junior people. So I need to have some senior people on the team that can provide, you know, guidance and direction. I need to make sure that the vision and the goals are clear so that if I can't be there at every moment to clarify that for everybody, the team still knows what to do. 
And so um, anyway, long story short, we, we, it took 18 months to get that team back on track. And that involved uh, replacing a lot of the leadership team. We had to make a lot of personnel changes. We had to transfer people to other parts of the organization, bring in some senior talent, clarify the vision, reset the goals, and then get that team kind of back on track. But back to the question, how do I measure performance? That manager didn't create a team that could produce the result. He was doing all of the work himself. And when he couldn't do the work, the team started failing and that reflected on his performance. Thank you for that story. Given that you don't have another project to put the leader on, do you send them on a week-long vacation to see if <laughs> their team is doing all right without them? No, you don't have to. That's a good question. Um, no, you don't have to. As the manager of, of that manager, there's a lot you can do. When you're doing skip levels, which you know, hopefully if you manage other managers, you're, you're doing skip levels, and you can ask people this, the, these same questions that I typically ask. Are the goals clear? Is the vision clear? How are decisions made on the team? Do you feel like you get to make important decisions that, you know, or do you have to go to your boss for approval for certain things? A lot of times, a key way to uh, suss this out is when there is a, a failure and every team makes mistakes and every team has failures. And if you dig into like what happened and why, you'll often see these signals of lack of clarity of vision and goals and lack of empowerment on the team because the manager is trying to do all the things. Another warning sign for what it's worth is uh, show me a manager that's running around with their hair on fire because they're doing like a thousand different things. And I would bet you a symptom, one thing that that person could probably do is be able to delegate more to their team and let them own it autonomously. All right. Let's say we aren't working with such a team right now. Like to anyone who is out there trying to create such an atmosphere where people can decide for themselves apart from not telling them what they should do, what are some of the strategies that you can use to, to kind of show the way to the team or to the manager? One of the things that I do a lot of, and I think I mentioned this earlier, is, um, well, first you have to pay attention to how many times is the team coming to you to ask questions to, for, for you to make the decision. And if you just, um, if, if, if most people paid attention to this, like just in your notebook, just write down how, you know, make a little tick mark every time somebody comes to you and says, you know, hey boss, can I do this? Should I do that? Am I allowed to do that? Do you approve this? Pay attention to those words. Those aren't words of empowerment. Those are words of authority. Can I, should I, am I allowed to, can I have your approval? Those are words of authority. And sometimes, look, some of, you have to have some of that. You, we, we have to approve people's vacations and you know, things like that. But when it comes to things that they should be able to decide for themselves, you have to pay attention to, are you out of, um, uh, you know, usually it's because we want to move fast. Are you doing the thinking for that person? So that's the first step. Just identify how often that's happening. I think you'll typically find it happens not with everybody, but with certain people. And then what you need to do is just stop making decisions for them. So when they come to you and say, can I, a very simple question to ask in return is what would you do if you were me? If you were in my shoes, what would you do? And make them think about the problem. After you do that a few times, either they will realize that they can't just go <laughs> get a decision from you, or you, know, you can even have a conversation with that person and say, look, I'm, I'm trying to help you not be blocked by me. 
I'm trying to help you not be dependent on me. I want you to think for yourself. I want you to take risks and make decisions because that's how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to learn how to be a better engineer. That's how you're going to learn how to be a better employee of any kind by taking a chance and learning and be willing to make mistakes. So pay attention to how many times people are asking you for permission and then stop giving permission, um, unless it's something you absolutely have to. Right. Did you pick this up at one of the companies where you worked or did you come to these conclusions by some set of experiences or did you learn this from a set of leadership books or, or what was your process of coming to coming to this yeah. idea of, of creating self-managing teams? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, you know, hindsight's 2020. It was a lot of things all combined together. Um, some of the key things that I would point to are, this was actually kind of a part of Riot's culture, um, to be honest, was, you know, just this expectation that we hire really smart people and then we expect them to just go solve problems. So that was ingrained in our culture. When Riot was growing really fast, I think when I started at Riot, I think engineering was probably about 300 people. And when I left, it was uh, over a thousand. So to give you a sense of, of how much it changed over seven years, when engineering is about 300 people, you didn't have a lot of managers of managers of managers, if, if that makes sense. But like when we started getting larger, one of the things that we saw happening was when people went from being a frontline manager to suddenly having to lead other managers, the failure rate there was very high. Like we saw a lot of leaders just not able to make that transition. That's typically like the director transition um, at a lot of companies is when you're suddenly managing other managers. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about why was that happening? What, what was going on? Um, what, what was happening there? And so we did a lot of investigation. We did a lot of kind of you know, talking to managers, talking to teams. And this theme of managers not being able to step out of the day-to-day -day direction of the team, like, go do this, go do that. We have to do this. Please do that. When you're suddenly leading other leaders, those leaders want to have autonomy. They, they want to lead their team, right? And if you try to like tell them how to go do that, that just doesn't work. You've got to teach them. And so we really started, you know, kind of grappling with this idea of managers as coaches and managers as teachers and creating the atmosphere and the culture for success, as opposed to dictating what success has to look like for every person on, in, in the organization. Around that time, I also happened to uh, be reading a book. It was, it's called Turn the Ship Around. It's the story of a, of a captain who um, in the United States Navy who took over the worst performing submarine in the Navy and turned it into the best performing submarine in the Navy. And this theme of leaders, um, you know, everything being dependent on the commander was one of the things that was causing poor performance. There was a phrase in that book. Uh, he, he talks about, he taught people to, instead of asking for permission to say, I intend to. And so um, on my leadership team, I had, we all just kind of read, I, you know, I told everybody about this book. We all read it. And I'd say for six months, in fact, if you went and talked to any of the leaders that were on the team at that time, I, if you walked up to them and said, I intend to, they would probably, you know, kind of smile at you because we made this part of our vocabulary. People would come to me and say, hey, Mike, can I do this? And I I'd just kind of shake my head. I'm like, what do you? Okay, I intend to do this, not can I do that? And I'm like, okay, you know, why, you know, have you done your research? What were the other options? You know, all that kind of stuff. 
so that was that was a that was a big factor too all around that same time those were the key the, the, key, the key things and, and i've just found it to be true like you know the more i kind of you know adopted this idea and the more i've made it a part of how i lead my leaders and coach other people the more i've just found it to be true yeah that works for me i um uh, this is a really fun story i kind of hear that you have to be kind of get people behind this idea and then and then make it like a fun common mm-hmm. understanding like everybody knows that we're doing this on purpose and it's fun yeah. yeah you're exactly right there's an article an hbr article i think it was written a long time ago probably in the 80s the title that is something about like, who's got the monkey And the point of the article is your direct reports will come to you and want to give you their monkeys. Um, and, and that's, you know, uh, that's basically this thing that they're responsible for. Managers will, will take those responsibilities from people all the time by making decisions for them, by telling them they'll do, you know. And so um, similar to what you're describing, everybody on my leadership team read that that article and so for months we were running around talking about monkeys you know i'm not taking your monkey no i'm not taking your monkey no you can't take my monkey <laughs> so um yeah so in this sense the monkey is like um like the extra weight right um, yeah it's the decision right it's the responsibility so uh if you came to me and said uh, mike i don't know how to make this decision and i say oh well let, let me help you with that I'll, i'll i'll do that for you right we're all You, you just took more work on yourself. You, right. you just took their money. That's their job. Um, the other thing that's kind of um, a problem with that is now you're responsible. So if, if, you, if something goes wrong, you've taken that responsibility on yourself, right? And, and so now you've missed an opportunity to potentially coach that person. And so, um, so you've got to be careful not to take other people's monkeys. Otherwise, um, again, show me a manager that is, you know, overwhelmed, has way too much going on, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and this whole theme of they have a lot of monkeys on their back or they're, you know, uh, they've, you know, they make their team come to them for approval or, you know, decisions about everything. Um, those are not always, but, you know, sometimes things you'll, you'll see with people that, um, that are overwhelmed. As you are telling me this, it, it all seems really great. And especially if the team also knows, you know, like I'm trying to make an environment where you are empowered and you can finish your work in, in such a manner that you don't have to come to me for, for approval. Somehow I have this inkling that it's hard for the manager to sometimes say, no, I'm not going to make that decision for you or I'm not going to help you kind of with that. Is, is that right? Like, is that yeah. some, much, some sort of a challenge within this framework? It, it is. Um, I mean, even myself, I, I think, you know, especially if you're the kind of person who likes to help other people. And I, and I found, you know, a lot of great managers are people who want to help other people. That's why they get into management in the first place. You know, I don't want to Uh, mislead anyone. I still struggle with this to this day. When people come to me and they ask for help, it takes a lot of mental, you know, presence to, 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 to think, you know, is this a situation where I'm okay just making the decision or do I really need this other person to own the decision? So it is hard. It's, you know, it takes a lot of practice, but if you think about how you learn to lead and how you learn to manage, it's, In, throughout my career, it was when somebody gave me a shot. It was when somebody said, 
hey, Mike, this I need this outcome and I'm going to trust you to go figure it out. And I was given the space and the support to go do that. I, those were the times I learned more in my career than any other time in my career. When people told me where to go and how to do it and, you know, do this and do that. And hey, boss, can I do that? Can I do this? I didn't grow during those times. Right. And so I think about that a lot with with my direct reports. Am I creating the conditions where they're going to grow or am I shortcutting everybody's opportunity to learn and grow by just taking the easy, fast way out? Right. And that's the difference, I think, between like a good manager and a great manager. A good manager can get results. A great manager can get results and grow their team and grow their people and, and help them all do that for somebody else someday also. That's the key. All right, I, that works for me. If you could shed some light on, like if you are the manager of a team, no matter what kind of yep. a team, or maybe it matters, you tell me. How do you tell your direct reports who are perhaps more used to managers or leaders who are going to make decisions for them yeah. that you are not going to do it. Yeah. You kind of alluded to this earlier. I think you're, I think you're exactly right. If you make it something everybody is doing or you make it kind of fun or you make it a, a thing, then that makes it a lot easier. So around that time where we were talking about this on my leadership team at Riot, we used to do a thing every time we sat down for to do our quarterly goals, we'd set quarterly goals. And we so we'd look at last quarter's results and plan our next quarter. We would also have a theme for the quarter. And it was always a leadership theme, right? And so everybody on the team would know the theme for this month is we're not going to make decisions for each other. <laughs> and that's where this whole intend to thing came from. And everybody read the, you know, turn the ship around and, and all of that. And so for, for that quarter, for that entire quarter, it was just, it was top of mind. Everybody was talking about it. It was just a part of what everybody was thinking about every day. And so it made it real easy when, you know, uh, one of my directs would come to me and say, Hey Mike, can I do this thing? And I'm like, I'm not going to answer that question. I remember the theme for the quarter is you got to at least think about this for yourself once before I give you an opinion. And, um, and that just made it easy. Right. Um, but not every team has that camaraderie or, or whatever. I also don't think it's unfair to, with your direct reports, just be very, be very direct. My expectation of you as a manager, as a leader, is that you can think for yourself and make decisions for yourself. And so I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to give you the support. But next, but when you come to me and ask for me to make a decision for you that I think you can make on your own, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to think about it, make a proposal. We can talk about it. I'll help you think through it. I'll help you, you know, if you get stuck and you want to talk through it, I'm happy to do that, but I'm not going to actually be the one to make the decision. And if you just, you know, are honest with people, I think my experience has been most people are um, very, very open to and grateful for that kind of opportunity again, because it's, they can see that helps them grow and it is very different, but it, uh, um, yeah, just being upfront with people. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's, it sounds good. I, I hope that we will see more of this in our lives. My understanding is that you left Riot because you kind of achieved what you could there and you were looking for, again, a smaller team where you can maybe get more hands-on with the, the startup or, or kind of small company moving around. Was uh, App on board having 
a similar kind of mindset about leadership from the start or or how how did you kind yeah. of get this started yeah it's a great question um and and yes i you know i, I left riot because you know riot was getting to a, a size and and you know kind of stability that you know i was i enjoy growing things uh, enjoy scaling things and so going back to a startup was just something i was i was looking for the app on board team i think was very much one of the teams that i've that i've that i've worked with that was was very used to people making decisions and the ceo making all the decisions and i think anybody on the team would tell you you know i spent the first few months making sure everybody in the company understood our vision and our goals and just clarifying that for everybody so that you can even have the conditions where people could make their own decisions it's still a work in progress We've all read the Who's Got the Monkey articles. You know, I've talked to the team regularly. Uh, I coach uh, a lot of the leaders on, you know, I don't want to make this decision for you. I want you to make the decision. But it takes a while. You know, it takes a while to build that into a culture, right? Because, you know, I don't want anybody listening uh, or watching here to think that this just happens overnight. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of um, practice. It takes a lot of nobody becomes a, you know, an Olympic winning team over overnight, you know, it, it takes practice. And the other thing that I think is really important is um, sometimes you just don't have the right people on the team. Some people aren't capable of working that way. Some people don't have the skills. Some people don't have the mindset. Some people don't want to be empowered to, to make decisions. They, they would rather let other people think for them. And I think it's up to each company and organization to decide whether that's okay. Um, but I would argue you're probably going to miss out on some performance that you could have if that's you know kind of the culture you want to have. So yeah, work in progress at App on Board, but you know I think every leader that I work with there would tell you that this is something that's pretty important to me and something that we're trying to work on. So. Sounds good. Thank you. With that said, we kind of touched on this, but I want to maybe get a little deeper. How do you establish this kind of mindset on the different levels of leadership with, um, with, you know, with the small company, it's kind of like there is a team and then there is a, a manager of the team and then perhaps there is a CEO and that's kind of it. But uh, yeah. with bigger established companies, there are more layers of leadership. Where do you start top or do you start on the bottom? How how does this look like? If you want to get this into, like, if you want this mindset in a large organization. Yes, yes. I think you have to start at the top. I, I think you have to start with the most senior leaders. Um, and the reason I say that is because people model their leaders' uh, behavior um, a lot of times. And I, and I think this is one of the things that I think... Um, if we if we were going to do another podcast, we could have a whole we could have a whole separate topic about managers' presence and their behaviors and and how their behaviors impact the organization. But this is one of those things where, where people people will will model their their leaders. And so, if you start teaching your most senior leaders how to do this, they'll start teaching their leaders. We'll start teaching their leaders, and it will eventually permeate the organization. It's the hardest in kind of the middle management layers, those managers of managers, um, I think kind of the senior manager and director. Um, again, because as I mentioned earlier, I think that's a really hard transition to make. 
because you not only have to like be good at doing things yourself and delivering the result, but you also have to teach your managers how to do it. And so it's kind of, you're kind of in that, that middle world. I'll never forget uh, one time, it just an example. This was when I was, uh, I was CTO uh, at the time. Uh, so this was probably a year and a half ago. I overheard, I don't, I don't remember how this happened, but it happened a few times over a, the span of a few weeks. I had heard from engineers that were, you know, probably three, four five layers removed from me that they were doing a thing because Mike wants Mike, Mike, I heard that Mike wants this. And I, and I got, I got pretty frustrated to be honest, because I went back to my leadership team and I said, I said, I said, team, you know, I gotta be honest. It, it kind of bothers me that there's these engineers, you know, kind of on the front lines that the reason they're doing something is because I want it. I said, what I would prefer is that they understand the vision and the goals and someone's taken the time to explain to them why a thing is important, not because I want it. And, and, and so we had this whole conversation about it, it, that's kind of it's kind of the lazy way out. Right. Uh, the appeal to authority. If I just appeal to the highest authority in the land, um, I can get anybody to do anything I want, you know, most of the time. Um, but that doesn't teach, again, people how to think, how to think for themselves. And so somewhere in that chain was a manager who didn't take the time to explain to these people why we had made the decision, why it was important, and that they stood behind it. Not Mike wants it, right? That, again, that's an appeal to authority, not an appeal, not an appeal to empowerment. And so um, you've got to pay attention to those kinds of things. You've got to pay attention to why people are doing things and how does again how decisions are being made i think if you if you follow the thread of how decisions get made and, and what motivates people to do things you'll be able to very easily determine if you have a culture of empowerment and a culture of people thinking for themselves or a culture that appeals to authority um, all the way up to the top of the chain so what was the end of the story? Did they get deeper into the vision and the, the goals of the company and <laughs> um, the I would say, as with all those things, you know, um, there's very little, I think, that happens in an organization, especially of that size, that doesn't boil down to a person coaching another person about something very specific, right? Like you can get up on stage and tell everybody, hey, we want to have this kind of a culture. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really happen until, until you get to the one-on-one -on -one conversations. And so I don't remember exactly, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that this was a coaching opportunity for one or two managers. And so we just made sure they went and got the coaching. That's it. You know, hey, next time, don't you think it'd be better if the engineers kind of knew why we were doing the thing instead of just telling them that, you know, Mike wants it? Like, that's not a good reason to, I wouldn't, I, I, you know, I'd be like, okay, so Mike wants it, but why? You know, that's the, <laughs> you should care about why, because that's, that's, the, that's the more important thing. Right. And I think I'm getting to this kind of conclusion that really you can't have self-managing teams if you don't have a very explicit vision for the company or the project at hand. Yes. Yeah, there's... Um... Uh, I think it's a Simon Sinek book is like, you know, start with the why. And this is why if people don't understand why you're doing something, they're not going to make the best decisions. Right. And this is why the Mike wants thing bothers me so much, to be honest, because and I used to tell my teams this in my role as CTO at Riot, I'm the furthest away 
from the day-to-day -day problems that the team is having. I'm the closest though to the company vision and direction and goals. And so the, the thing I can do the best for everybody is communicate how your work connects to the company vision and goals. The, the thing I'm probably gonna make the worst decisions about is this thing that you're dealing with on the front lines because I have no context, right? There's no way I'm gonna make a good decision about that. You're gonna make the best decision about that. But if you don't have the ability to make that decision, then the whole organization is gonna lose, right? And that's why when you see leaders leave organizations and the performance declines, it's because the people on the front lines aren't, aren't making the decisions. They were making the decisions and they're often the worst person to be making the decision. So yes, clarifying the goals and clarifying the mission and clarifying what the outcomes are that you want for the project helps the people who are the closest to the decision make the right decision and they'll make better decisions most of the time. Not all the time, you know, that's where <laughs> coaching comes in and, and those kinds of things. But in general, more brains are better than, than your brain sitting up on high making all the decisions for everybody. Right. Thank you for that. I I really hope that this gets to people who need to hear it or or maybe some people who don't even want to hear it but might just get this podcast episode sent to them. Um, <laughs> we touched on a lot of aspects of self-managing teams and leaders who can create this kind of environment and um, making it a fun experience for everyone involved and how it all results in better performance and maybe achieving the goals perhaps faster, perhaps in a better manner. What else would you like to share, if anything, or to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think the one thing I would probably add is, like I said earlier, it takes time. It takes time to get there. And not every team is capable of actually making the transition to being a, a, a self-performing team. I'll give you an example. When you're teaching somebody how to drive a car, you know, there's this basic assumption that they're old enough <laughs> to learn. They have the motor skills to learn. And they've probably like watched you drive a car or maybe they took a driver's ed course or something like that. They, they have the kind of the raw materials that it takes to learn how to drive a car. And if you think about the way you teach somebody to drive a car, first you make them watch you and, and, then, and then you watch them and, and then eventually you get out of the car and they can, they can drive on their own. But it, you wouldn't take a, you know, a, a, a five-year-old and put them behind of a wheel of, the wheel of a car and expect them to be able to learn how to drive a car because they don't have the motor skills, they don't have enough experience, you know, those kinds of things. And so I just want to caution everybody against like this, this style of leadership works with a certain kind of mindset. It works with a certain kind of person that has um, kind of a basic level of, of skills and critical thinking and, and those kinds of things. If you want this type of uh, an environment on your team, you have to evaluate the, the team you have. You have to evaluate the skills that you have on the team. You might need to be more directive. I have had teams in the past where I have, I have no choice but to tell them how to do it because they don't have the experience to be able to critically think about it for themselves. And so that's just one thing I would, I would suggest um, is take the time to evaluate your, your team and, and make sure that they're, you know, um, they're capable before you expect great results from them. And you may have to replace some people, but I think, um, I think it's worth it. When you get a whole team of leaders that are 
all empowered and making great decisions. They understand what needs to happen. Your life will be so much better, so much easier. All right. Thank you so much. Um, awesomeness. Yeah, I, I have to share. I, what you said just really made me think about your perception of the team as well. Like you can't really have a self-managing team if you are not able to trust that the team members are going to make the best decisions with the information that you provide them. Yeah, and that's the hard part. This is the hardest part about managing a team. Well, this sounds terrible, but when you're teaching somebody how to think and how to make decisions, some people are worth that investment because they'll actually learn it and they'll get better and then they will be autonomous. And some people, some people won't. Again, this is a whole, probably a whole nother podcast episode about like what to look for in a person in terms of growth mindset and things like that. But yeah, that's, yeah, it really depends on, on the team and the composition and the people you have and, 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 and those kinds of things. So you got to be, you got to really got to know your people on your team and what awesome. they're capable of. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So with one thing we have to go away is reflection and self-reflection and that will help us enable our teams I think. Awesome. Thank you. I feel I feel empowered now. Where can our listeners follow your work or or perhaps uh, follow you? I've been uh, a little bit off the grid for the last uh, eight or nine months, honestly, uh, as I've been, you know, kind of coming up to speed on just, you know, running the new company, probably the, the, the main the main places. Um, um, I don't often, I haven't been posting much lately, but yeah, you can always, uh, always find me on LinkedIn. It's probably uh, the easiest place. Uh, and I'm, I'm sometimes active on Twitter. All right. We will make sure to, to follow you. With that said, dearest listeners, follow Level Up Engineering on Twitter as well. And uh, follow Mike Sievers on Twitter. Thank you for staying with us. Um, this was Level Up Engineering. And we talked about high-performing self-managing teams and empowering your teams and, and making work really a fun experience where everybody can take responsibility for, for the work they produce. And my guest was CEO of App On Board, Mike Sievers, who was kind enough to share his experience and um, what he has learned from his various experiences in the past. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Dearest listeners, thanks for staying with us. I am Carolina Toth, and I dearly hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.